Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Causey Consulting Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Causey, and I'm also the owner of Causey Consulting, which you can find online anytime at CauseyConsultingLLC.com. Very special guest today, Sam Hawkins. Sam is a safety speaker and consultant with more than 21 years of experience. He coaches and manages pro boxers, which is pretty darn cool, and he's also the author of Jab to Win. Sam, I know you're a busy guy. You've got a lot going on. Thank you for taking the time to be my guest today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So tell us more about your own entrepreneurial journey. I mean, you've worn a lot of hats. You've led a pretty interesting life. What motivated you to become a safety expert? Well, um, safety, I kind of fell in. So the, the entrepreneur side of that, there are two different stories there. But, nice. Uh, uh, years ago, I was um, studying to be a firefighter in um, Toledo, Ohio. Um, started working for a company that does hazardous waste cleanup and disposal. So just responding to, you know, hazmat spills. I was one of the ones with the shovels, you know, mm-hmm. suddenly cracked to a to a hose. And I ended up connecting with the safety guy of that company, which was the first safety person I'd ever met. Um, and I didn't know this was a profession. So it kind of aligned with firefighters, help people, save people. Mm-hmm. And, and he kind of groomed me to a few years later being that company's safety manager. <laughs> Ironically, um, no schooling or anything, just kind of under him. And then you, you you shift that all the way to 2013. So from there, I went from being a safety guy with multiple companies. Um, 2013, moved my family from Toledo, Ohio to Indiana. Um, and six months later, I was laid off. So mm. <laughs> um, one of the things with that in safety, that was actually my third layoff. And just reality of safety is a lot of times when, when budgets get tight with companies, um, safety is the first thing to go. We mm-hmm. don't like to admit that, but it's true. And this was another one of those cases. Um, came home, talked to the family, said, hey, look, I got laid off today. And, and everybody's question was, OK, are we moving again? And, and, yeah. and, it, and it was more of, you know, wow. You know, and and at that point, I decided, you know what, I'm a I'm a bet on myself and go out here and try to consult thing. Had no clue about business, being an entrepreneur, um, but it was, you know, miles to feed and, and here we go. So what's funny about that is here, here we are in 2020 and I've been a safety consultant for seven years. So <laughs> Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, and I get that. You're right. It, it, it is something we don't like to admit, but when the budget gets tight, safety does typically get cut. And that's probably not the best strategy, but yes, you're absolutely right. And, and I totally get what you're saying. I'm curious to know, since you coach and manage pro boxers, I, people would throw rotten tomatoes at me if I didn't ask in this episode, you know, tell us about your own experience with boxing, your own career. What's, what's going on there? Oh, so once again, another story, we may have a bunch of crazy stories. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) So, so, so to talk about my boxing career, we have to first admit that I'm a guy who play, um, that in high school, didn't play um, high school football, but went on to play um, semi-pro football with the Michigan Timberwolves. Nice. Um, <laughs> so I was a fullback there. In fairness, I got cut the same year. Now, so it wasn't like, oh, I had this great career there. <laughs> but in getting cut as a fullback, he's usually this big guy who kind of opens up the hole for everybody else to kind of do work. And my oldest brother was the boxer in the family growing up. So he was Golden Glove champion, um, boxed for years, trained. And I was always around his training and seeing how grueling it was because I ran track. So it was different, different avenues there. But I learned a lot just watching him and picking it up and going to the gym. 
So when I got cut from football, I decided, well, I'm going to go to a boxing gym because I know how good the workouts are. Mm -hmm. I'm going to strip this weight down. I'm going to come back in better shape next year and be the starting running back. That was my mindset. So I go in a boxing gym in Toledo, Ohio. And again, I'm at this point, I'm in there about six months and I'm just working out to be working out to lose this weight. And they convinced me, get in the ring with some of these guys. So a couple of weeks go by and I'm getting in with different fighters, different fighters, and they keep putting in other fighters. And um, soon, like maybe a month later, they come and tell me, by the way, all those guys you whipped last week were all pros. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'm like, I didn't know. I didn't even know that was there. Um, To fast forward in that story of probably a year later of just training, I had a guy come in with the contract for the term pro. And I'm sitting here once again, a guy who now has had zero amateur fights is turning pro because I was actually beating up pros. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, so I jumped in the um, sport, of course. I'm like, yeah, I'll take this opportunity. Um, jumped in there. Absolutely loved, loved the sport, just the experience, the, the, um, the training and everything. Um, towards the end, I, didn't, I actually didn't fight that long because I didn't know enough about the business side of it. Mm-hmm. The sport itself is itself, but what you don't realize in boxing is when you turn pro, it is a business first. And the I, the business moves weren't as smart for me, so I ultimately ended up retiring after um, um, seven fights. So I was four and three, um, and the last three fights, you know, were were ones where we took for the money. And not mm-hmm. to say we we fought in in, in in with the goal of winning, but what probably shouldn't have taken that fight when you think of managing a fighter. Um, so after retiring, I sat back, kind of analyzed the sport. Um, started training local at local gyms there, helping keep like keep the youth off the street and teach them discipline and things like that. Um, you fast forward now, I have three pro fighters who I am now managing to have a smarter career than I had, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and moving them the right way towards the top. Because what hit, what ends up happening in boxing is these guys need to get ten or thirteen wins before people, the world ever sees them on TV. Yeah. So they, they, it's, you know, strategic moves you make there, which I didn't make. So I kind of with the seven fights, I cut myself out of the TV and the big money just because of not making those decisions. So I do that now with these fighters to help groom them, teach them the business side of it, because they are they're all fighters. They want to get in and just throw punches. And if they get a phone call to fight whoever today, they want to fight them. But mm-hmm. it's understanding this is not the move you make today based off of this situation. So um, I think my my intro in the boxing was really a setup to teach me to be able to uh, move these guys smarter than I was moved. Nice. Nice. That's very inspirational. And I like how you say, let's don't meet on accident. What, what a great slogan for anything related to safety. I love that. And I'm wondering, like, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you see around safety? In order for for people to not meet you on accident, (laughs) what are some things that they should be doing or some things that they should not be doing? Well, I think what the biggest misconception is it costs it costs too much money to work safe. Yeah. Um, And then the next one is the misconception is if we do the job in accordance with the regulations, it will take too long. And those are those are the two misconceptions. And the only reason those are there is because people see safety equipment and we're just we can talk simply hard hats. Um, those cost the company money. Sure. Um, and, and we know the whole it's, it's kind of like insurance. You mm-hmm. know, you, buy, you pay your insurance every month. If nothing happens, you think it's pointless. But the minute you have to replace a, a total car, it makes sense. Yes. 
you know. And so what happens there is if companies are putting it in the front of we don't we don't buy this stuff. It's not it's not bid into either the projects or the work processes. Then all of a sudden it becomes a extra cost. So a lot of companies I deal with, we start changing the mindset to, for instance, if they're a construction company and they're doing a project, when they quote their project, that equipment is quoted in there. So now it's not this extra cost that we're putting on top of what we had to do because the cost is in there. So you you instantly change the mindset and the acceptance of buying that equipment. And, and then it's the same thing with time. Not These days, whether work or not, we're all trying to get things done quickly, the mm-hmm. fastest way possible. I mean, that's why microwaves are, you know, <laughs> you know, invented and, and still being sold. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that process includes safety, you know, then again, we're we're now not adding an extra 10 minutes to our job because this is the time to do the job. So companies have to have to give workers that amount of time. You know, to put on put to put on your harness, to put on your glasses, to put on your boots. If that 10 minutes isn't, you know, added into the project, then at the end of the week, all they see is an extra 10 minutes every week, you know, or every day that week off of 10 employees and they see it as a loss. So the biggest misconception there is, you know, that it, um, it slows the job down if you do it safely and then safety costs too much money to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I'm wondering from your perspective, how can a company or a work site really create a strong safety culture so that everybody's bought in from the management all the way down? Everybody understands the importance of it and, and that safety is their own responsibility. So how, how do you kind of create that kind of culture around it? So the, the, what I say in, in, in um, safety, especially when we're talking cultures, is um, people kind of mimic what's important from the top. Yeah. You know, when it, at the end of the day, we're there, they're showing up for, because of a paycheck. I mean, as much as they would love the company, if four weeks went by and they said, OK, come in and do this work without a check. Nobody's showing up. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but so they're but they're there for a paycheck and they mimic what's happening from the top. As they see that importance, for, you know, that that is it's important to senior management. It's important to the people in the office signing those checks. It, it starts to become the way we operate as a company. Um, and we, the reason why I say that is so many companies write a safety policy and say, hey, wear your safety glasses anytime you're in this room. And all the workers in that room will have their safety glasses on. They'll see five or six people from management walk through without the safety glasses. Yes. So at that point, it tells those workers enough that, OK, this is one of those BS rules or one of them that, you know, it's a CYA. They put it in mm-hmm. there and they could care less. When they see those same um, management, that same those same top senior guys coming through um, with that protection on, then it becomes real. And that and that to me, that's the biggest thing a company can do. It starts at the top, but it's leading by example, um, flat out. Hmm. I like that. So you have a, a diverse background. You have some really interesting skill sets. Who do you typically work with, whether someone is listening to this and they really want a safety speaker or consultant, or maybe they want to go pro, maybe they're a boxer and they're like, yeah, hell yeah, this guy's got some good skills. He knows what to do. Who, who is your ideal client? Who, who would you most like to connect with out there? So from, so from a safety perspective, 
if I'm working with a company at this point, I'm I'm looking for companies who are who want to be proactive about safety, who genuinely care about keeping their workers safe and are saying, hey, you know, this is our situation. How do we fix it or how do we prevent someone from coming in? You know, that's the kind of company that I'll look at what they have in place and kind of coach them through what they need to um you know, to um, be successful in safety. If they if they have safety in places getting a little lax, then they need somebody to come in and light a spark under them or motivate people to care about safety some more. Those are the companies that I come in and and speak for. Um, on the DOT side, when it were um, these days, I'm starting to get more into doing expert witness work. Mm-hmm. And what and where what that comes in is. Um, in most of these cases, what I'm dealing with um, is attorneys who are looking for an expert witness where they have a, um, a, a, a person who's been hit by a semi or it is not their fault is to, exp- is to explain through the processes of DOT and what we could have done to prevent that. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a very specific area there. Fighters these days, I, I no longer work with amateurs um, just because of time, which um, I, I go into amateur gyms and speak anytime. So if anybody has an amateur gym, if they want to get them on, on Zoom, if they're not, you know, if they're not local or if you want to have me um, come to your gym, I do all that for free. I'll come in and talk and motivate kids for free. Or if you're if you're a nonprofit and you want me to come talk to your kids, that's my passion. I do that. That's not even a client. Just call me and we'll figure out how to get there. Um, but if you're a pro and you're looking to improve and take it to the next level or be properly managed, that's also that's what I'm looking for. We'll look at where you are in your skill set, have a realistic um, conversation about how far you can project and then see if we can work good together. Uh, when it comes to fighters, my, my number one thing is um, is effort and working hard. If I can outwork you, uh, we won't work together. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so if somebody's listening and they fit that criteria and they want to reach out to you, where's the best place online for that person to go to get connected with you? The best place to find me is jump on LinkedIn, uh, put in Safety Sam Hawkins. I'll come up. You connect with me there. You'll be able to find all my other channels if you decide to follow those as well. But LinkedIn, Safety Sam Hawkins, um, follow me there. Um, I'm, I put out videos on there quite often. So Nice. Well, I know you're busy. You've got all these different hats that you're wearing, all of which are interesting, by the way. There's not, there's no hat you're currently wearing that's not fascinating. So kudos on that. <laughs> and I, I thank you for taking time out of your day to, to be a guest on the podcast. My pleasure. You have a good one. Thanks. Once again, my guest today was Sam Hawkins, a safety speaker and consultant, and also a coach and manager of pro boxers. If you'd like to connect with him, you can go to LinkedIn and find him as Safety Sam Hawkins or just Safety Sam One. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it. If you haven't already, take a quick minute to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review for us on iTunes. Bye for now.